welcome to the Blue and White Brothers, the podcast all about Penn State football. Conversation and commentary from a fan perspective. I'm Tom Gaffman. And I'm Andy Gaffman. And we are the Blue and White Brothers. Two brothers, two takes, one team. That opening is way too happy for this moment. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) You know, I was just thinking, like, as hard as it is for us to think about talking a little bit more about Penn State football, these players, they've got to go out and actually play some more Penn State football this coming week. And, um, gee, you got to hand it to them for for putting on their uniform and going out there and just giving it a shot after such a deflating loss. I mean, you really hope that they bring a little more energy to it than uh, I've been able to in this podcast today because <laughs> well one thing it's going to be is the last opportunity for a lot of Penn Staters to play you know in Beaver Stadium in front of their the home crowd it's 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 always a sad day you know every year there's there's seniors that are playing their last game every year it happens and, and it's gonna it's happening again this weekend um so all we can hope for is that you know these players put it together one last time at Beaver Stadium to send these seniors out the right way I think you bring up a great point. It is a a senior day game this coming week. And I think in honor of those players, we need to pull it together, bro, and have a great podcast episode today. We'll do our best. (laughs) uh what what is it losers do their best losers cry about their best losers always whine about their best and then you know, you'll have to watch The Rock and Mr. Get Sean the rest Con- of that Sir Sean Connery <laughs> to learn the rest of it. Uh, and and I, if you're my age or around there, you you already know what it is. And Nick Cage, with Nick Cage, his girlfriend was the prom queen. Okay. <laughs> All right. Moving um, along. <laughs> Well, we've got some mailbag entries today. Uh, we will scout that Rutgers team. I'm going to put the word scout in air quotes because I'm not sure how much actual scouting we're going to do, but we will talk about the game. Let's put it this way. James Franklin signed off on his press conference today. His newly moved to Monday press weekly press conference. He was asked one very small, brief question about Rutgers in his press conference. And as he was signing off, he goes, hey, thanks for that one question about Rutgers. And then he yeah, walked away. We're going to probably talk about the Rutgers team about as much as James Franklin did in his press conference is what, yep. what we're saying there. And then uh, Joel's going to be with us to go by the numbers. As we get into this episode, remind everyone, uh, please subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast app. Um, share us with your Penn State friends. Write a review. Give us a rating. Send it in a mailbag to blueandwhitebrothers at gmail.com. Um, and with that, we will go ahead and open the mailbag. Mailbag time. Well, uh, I, I don't know if it's just that we're good therapy for people, but we have three mailbag entries and all of them are quite lengthy. Actually. I think there was a little bit of, uh, yeah, we got things to say as fans, Andy. I know. I know. I'm not, I'm not complaining. (laughs) I'm just making the observation. Um, so, uh, we got two questions, uh, about James Franklin and, um, one about Drew Aller. And we're going to start about uh, with the one about Drew Aller. Uh, this is from Sue Rapine. She she wrote in um, eight thirty a.m. Sunday morning, and either she's a really early riser or like she just like first thing that she woke up, she had to get this off of her, you know, off of her mind. Um, here's what she says: disappointment, heartache. Uh, so 
the reality seems to be that this team is not as good as we all thought. Or is it? The talent seems to be there, but we can't seem to coordinate it. Defensively, Manny Diaz appears to have everything under control. He comes into each game with a clear plan. Execution is often flawless, and adjustments are made to address shortcomings. Manny knows defense. Offensively, however, there seems to be little coordination, poor planning, poor decision-making, poor talent development. We've destroyed a five-star quarterback. Our wide receivers are lost. Our running backs are invisible. Is Yursich the problem? <laughs> Was Marcus Hagan's hire a mistake, or is the issue Franklin? I'm not on the Fire Franklin team, but I have lost all confidence in his ability to right the ship. And then she asks, so if you were Franklin right now, what would you do? And this obviously came before Yurcich was fired. And then she follows up with a second question after the firing. She says, so my earlier question seems irrelevant now. <laughs> since we know how Franklin handled the offensive issues. Now my question is, Yurcich recruited Drew Aller for years. They developed a close relationship. How likely is it that Drew will leave after the 2023 season, possibly following Yurcich? Glad I have your podcast to carry me through the letdown. Signed off, Sue Rapine. A couple things here. One, um, you know, I I probably would not say that Drew Aller has been ruined. Um, that's probably taking a little too far. It's his first year starting. If you want to go back to like, mm, say, a quarterback like Kerry Collins, I don't think anybody would have seen or could have seen the 1994 season that he had. Yeah, the and script even, is yet to be written, although Franklin has not had a great track record. Oh, I, I agree. And I, I, last episode, you know, accidentally called Drew Aller Hackenberg. <laughs> yes. And there's a reason for that, because the concern is that he becomes Franklin's next five-star quarterback blunder. Because Franklin had two years with... with um, uh, Christian Hackenberg, and both those years, things got worse and worse from his first year, which was under Bill O'Brien. And th that relationship did seem somewhat tenuous during those seasons, especially his last season. I mean, um, Hackenberg gave an interview a couple years ago where he actually kind of went into some of those details, and he was, I think, respectful, but yeah. you know, he seemed to indicate it was not a great situation. For and him. for what it's worth, uh, Hackenberg is now like a... Um, one of us. He's a he's a Penn State podcaster these days, along with Adam Brennerman, and um, there's a couple of new uh, like media types, uh, media companies that are kind of like you know working towards creating content for Penn State uh, or or about Penn State, I should say. Um, and Hackenberg has been involved in that with Adam Brennerman, which by the way, the two of them were the the big recruits that year for Bill O'Brien in 2013. Um, anyways, to get back to Sue's questions, thanks for writing in. By the way, um, Franklin might be. The issue. It's 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 very it's very possible. It almost might even be very likely uh, that Franklin is the issue. Um, however, um, she's not on the fire Franklin team, and neither am I because you literally can't right now. You're not. We don't have oil tycoon money. We just don't. We're just. It's not. You're not going to get Terry Pegula, or, uh, you know, to write a check for fifty or sixty million dollars. Uh, I mean, he's writing checks for a hundred million dollars to build a you know hockey arena for Penn State. He's not writing half a you know half a hundred mil check to fire someone. He's he's into building things, not you know. <laughs> I just don't see that being a likely likely thing. So firing Franklin off the table. What is on the table is what becomes of the offensive coordinator position, and it's all about you know. 
what Franklin wants for Drew Aller and what Franklin wants for this Penn State offense. Um, because in the press conference um, on Monday, Drew, he said that he had a really good conversation with Drew and Drew's family. So it, at least according to James, it seems like Drew is committed to Penn State. Now, things can change depending on who gets hired as the OC. And if I'm Drew Aller, I'm absolutely wondering who the OC is going to be, and I'll make a decision about my future because it's as much a business decision for him at this point as anything is. Um, you know, and you just got to hope that that Franklin figures out how to make a home run hire that that is, is somebody that can develop a quarterback under James Franklin because so far, every single quarterback that has come through Penn State under James Franklin's watch has had – their worst seasons being their last seasons compared to their the way they, their careers have started. Um, and, of course, you know, game day decisions, game planning, uh, play calling. You, you know, you want to hope that he hires someone that takes all of that out of James's hands and is somebody who's, you know, like a Manny Diaz of the, of the defense. Manny is in control of that defense. And we need somebody who's going to be in control of this offense and and can you know figure it out. So, so I, I have not lost all confidence in in James Franklin. He has made a lot of very good hires. Joe Moorhead was a very good hire. Um, so you know, Manny Diaz, great hire. Brent keeping Brent Pry as long as he did is a fabulous job by James Franklin. Um, so I, I hold out for hope. I have very little. And then this hire is going to make or break both Drew Aller and James Franklin's careers. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll just um, jump on that to say that absolutely there's a risk that Drew Aller leaves in this day and age of free transfer. No doubt. Um, You know, there are a lot of top programs that wanted him now, like... Does, Even with he, recruiting the current recruiting class with you know a top ten quarterback in Ethan Grunkemeyer, he's you know we could lose that quarterback if, you know depending on the the, the next OC that gets brought in. Absolutely, and and I think um, you know both there's there's a relationship with Mike Yersich and what that does to deflate um, Drew Aller with kind of the emotional um, blow of kind of losing the guy that. Uh, was the guy that brought you in and and Drew's gone on record and saying, you know, he's here for Mike Yersich. And so I think Drew's definitely going to be asking himself some tough questions. Um, certainly who they bring in as OC and is he someone that uh, Drew can connect with and that Drew is able to uh, envision himself succeeding under. Um, and if he doesn't feel that way, I think it's very, very likely that, that Drew would strongly consider putting his name in the portal and looking to go somewhere else. I think it's worth noting that we don't really have a, a top level quarterback behind Drew Aller. You know, what we've seen in Bo Prabula, he's done some good things this year, but he doesn't seem to be a, a you know, top level passing attack kind of quarterback. And and if for as many, for as many, you know, like um, re, we say, Hey, he looks just like Trace McSorley wearing number nine. Trace McSorley could huck that ball. And I we haven't have not, seen that from Bo. We Pabula. haven't seen that from Bo. At and all. and um, I just you know Penn State's future right now rests in at least immediate future rests largely on a guy like Drew Aller sticking around and developing. If Drew yeah. Aller leaves, there's a I, huge I think, gap. I, I think the pieces gap. are there for Drew to get better. I think they really are there. He is he he's he's not a bad quarterback. He just you know you know the other question she has in here is she asks um, was Marquise. Hag- Hagen's 
hire was that Marquise Higgins hire a mistake? And I think it's too early to tell. Um, you know, he really hasn't had a chance to like recruit any of the uh, get get the, any of his recruits on the field, and he's kind of dealing with um, maybe some you know previous recruits that have not lived up. Look, to expectations we have two two top level tight ends and Tyler Warren and Theo Johnson that are gone after the season. We have no decent um proven receivers coming up you know a uh, Khalil Dinkins has played a little bit but we're like losing receiving the, we're losing over half the offensive line the receiving yeah. and yeah the receiving and tight end core like who's Drew throwing to next year and and we're going to have to go into the transfer portal and do a lot better than we did last year um yeah. you know as the, the far high, as the i OC can tell the hire is going to make or break the portal too. Absolutely. Um, you know, it could it be someone that's coming from another program that could bring guys with them the way Lincoln Riley brought guys with him over to, you know, I mean, no, he's a head coach, but like he's their OC too. But I'm just saying, yeah, like bring some some top level guys who can get on the field right away. I mean, you saw what Deion Sanders did, um, you know, in terms of the talent that he brought in. Obviously, you know, wasn't nearly enough. To, hey, well, you, to you mentioned Deion Sanders. That's interesting, and I and I know we're going to probably talk more about like possibilities. But that uh, he demoted his offensive coordinator in season, um, Sean Lewis who was the head coach at Kent State the last several years, uh, who was uh, Dante Cephas's head coach when Dante Cephas was producing at a high level. So uh, there's options out there for Franklin to, to hire uh, some home run guys. Um, I mean, you you can look up any number of articles floating around like, like top op- options for Penn State offensive coordinator. And a lot of the same names are showing up. Um, you know, some fan favorites. Joe Moorhead's already been mentioned. Bill O'Brien's John Donovan's out there. Just Oh, kidding. my gosh. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, yeah, I don't think John Donovan's anyone's fan favorite. No, but, um, but then there, there are some of the big names. Uh, Joe Brady, who um, coached Joe Burrow at LSU, he's now um, at the Bills coaching Josh Allen. Um, Sean Lewis, you already mentioned. Um, Cliff Kingsbury's been on a couple lists, which to me is not a fit for our personnel at all. But um, whomever is chosen, like my point in bringing up all those names is we really I mean, have shoot, no idea. even Tyler Bowen, who's the Virginia Tech he- uh, offensive coordinator, who was. The OC, interim OC, during the 2019 Cotton Bowl uh, season for I mean, Penn I, State, I, by One the of the lists mentioned um, <laughs> the, the guy at JMU who's calling the plays, uh, Mike Shanahan, I think it is. Um, so, like, and JMU's undefeated right now. So, like, you know, there's yeah. some interesting names around there. But I, I don't think any of us has any idea who James Franklin's targeting. Um, he, in fact, said in his press conference today his goal is to keep that under wraps because as soon as a, a live name gets out there, it gets immensely more complicated and guys will actually pull themselves out if, they, uh, uh, if they're publicly named. So um, we're not going to know. And the speculation will be interesting, I think, over time. But... It's going to have a huge ripple effect. Number one for Drew Aller. Number two for Portal. Number three for just James Franklin's fate over the next few years. I mean, and number four, Penn State fans' sanity. <laughs> Actually, that's number one. <laughs> All right. Yeah. yeah. Fan podcast. We're important. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Sue, I uh, hope that gives you some uh, something to think about. Um, yeah, it's a big issue. And uh, Frank, I will oh, say, and by Franklin, the, way, the last thing I'll say about uh, yeah. her question, I don't see Drew following Yursich wherever he goes because I don't even know if Yursich is going to get an OC job at any institution that a player like Drew would care about. Like, yeah. I, I don't think his I mean, track but- record right now is going in the right direction to getting a big time job. 
there are a lot of moving parts with Drew's future for sure. Um, and the decisions that uh, Penn State makes over the next couple of weeks will have a big role in that. I was just going to say, James Franklin did mention that like Drew is not going to be part of this decision. Like he's not going to be part of the interview process. Right. But, right. but which he's going to be in know, mind. He's going to be in mind. Asked. It was asked. Yeah. You know, um, but he did Drew, mention that he will, it, it's actually absolutely going to matter who the personnel is and if it will mesh, like if the prospective coach will mesh yes, with personnel. That's what I was also mesh say. with the, the coaches and staff as well. Yeah. So it, yeah. it, there's, you know, because I don't think Kirk Shiraka meshed well. Yeah. Um, no. I think that's why. And um, maybe you, Mike Gersich may not have because, you know, Franklin mentioned that, like, you know, now that Mike Gersich is gone and Jawan Sider and um, Ty Howell are, are, uh, sharing responsibilities is like, yeah, uh, the the development of the play uh, of the game plan is much more collaborative. And he mentioned yeah. that as a positive development. And uh, it makes you wonder, like, maybe Mike Yersich was not, you know, working well with the staff. Well. And, yeah. and, you know, and he mentioned that you mentioned in our last podcast uh, episode how um, the game plan to the game call on Saturday shifted after, you know, seemed like things had been developed and then it moved away. So like um, it's pot- maybe Mike Yersich was kind of like a lone wolf and didn't let people in on the. However, he also did say that it was hard. He, the decision was difficult. So. You know, maybe they were friends, but they maybe they didn't work well together. I don't know. Yeah, who like, knows? Yeah, I mean, this is a lot of speculation. But all tons, that to say, tons of speculation. All that to say, all that to say, this is an immense decision to come. It probably won't come until at least the end of the regular season, if not into you know December yeah. and New Year's. So uh, strap on your seatbelts. It'll be an interesting ride. Um, we'll keep you posted. Uh, let's move on to the next mailbag entry. This is uh, Shane Dowd. Shane, thanks again. You've been with us all season. You're, you're almost taking over for Joel in terms of being a regular mailbag contributor. Really appreciate that. Um, Shane is writing in Saturday at 3.30 p.m. This is right after the game, bro. So um, there's no salty language, but it's oh, pretty unvarnished yeah, I, I, emotionally. I saw this uh, you know, in, our, in the email right away. I was like, dang. I was like, you, gotta, you had to get this one out quick. You know? yeah. I like it. Uh, I like it. So he says, uh, gents, I've defended Franklin a lot in the past. I think I hit my breaking point today. A lot of fans have hit their breaking point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Keep going, Shane. (laughs) I mean, we can start with both two-point conversions that were both so unnecessary. And if we had kicked, we would have been down seven kicking the ball deep to Michigan with two minutes left. There were runs where there should have been passes. Definitely a lovely third and five stuff in there. Passes where there should have just been runs. Uh, That was some trick play on fourth and one. We got it, but what in God's name was that? and opportunities that we left on the field, fourth and inches and no tush-push. Anyway, Shane, after this rant, continues by saying, I don't know what comes next here. I could probably script out the next five years of Penn State football, if you like. Win games, we should win. Lose games, we should lose. We have hit our ceiling, I'm certain of that. I guess that's fine, right? Nice bowl every year. Beatdowns of the little sisters of the poor. A new Franklin is not walking into that stadium. So the question is, are you okay with that? Because this is clearly the ceiling for a Franklin program. Well, I am not okay with it. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I yeah, I, my breaking point was hit too. I definitely had, if you had pulled all my comments in our text thread about the game and what I said about Franklin and, you know, like you would think that I was, I was ready to like give up my, my you know, my Penn state card or something like that. Like I, it, it's, 
it's tough being an emotional Penn State fan, you know, especially under Franklin. Um, it's just, yeah, there were so many boneheaded play calls. There really were. Um, I mean, and that, that you know, like, we are not good at gimmick plays. Not this team. I, I, I don't know what it is about, about this team and gimmick plays. We could not execute. And then we finally did execute one that actually got us the first down, but it looked so ugly when that that slow-developing uh, pass back to Drew from Katron. It's like, what? I just don't know. Gimmicks are not wrinkles, and, and gimmicks don't win you games when you're hanging on by a thread. Like it just doesn't work out. So head scratching for sure. It make it doesn't give me any hope for Franklin hiring an OC because Franklin still lets these things happen under his watch. Um, you know, is there actual hope? Sure, there is actual hope. You know, in terms of like, does he hire the perfect guy? Does do all the stars align and we have a you know an incredible run? Yeah, that's why you play the game. And if you're Franklin, you got to just keep trying. You just you know, I, I, like Joe Paterno coached for you know a half a century, and he had a t- many losing seasons, but like he still came back from the you know four out of five losing seasons to go win several Big Ten titles. Um, and, and that's, that's what you got to wait for. I mean, you know, I, I know that you're going to get into some of this, like what happens if you fire James Franklin? What, what, what are the, what's the flip side of things? But, you know, is it, is it his ceiling? It, it sure feels like it. It sure feels like this is his ceiling. I mean, obviously time will tell the pattern is pretty well set. That's what we we have a decade worth of data to kind of say, yeah, this is his ceiling. Ten wins in the regular season is time and time again shown to be his best with with the most talent. I and mean, he still has to go win two more games to to win ten games this season. All right, and and with his best teams and and now his most talented, quote unquote, just can't. Just hasn't done it. And and how many cracks? How many whacks at the mole do you give him, Andy? How many whacks at the mole do you give him? I mean, that's an interesting way to put it. I'm not sure I could quantify how many more whacks you give James Franklin. But, you know, the larger question of, like, what where do you go for... the whack of a mole, by the way? Is it, is I mean, it chances e- against top five season? teams? Chances against Ohio State-Michigan? Chances against ranked opponents on the road? Chances against, you know, chances I mean, to hire an offensive coordinator? Chances to win a big It's a fair 10? point. <laughs> and you already brought up though the the fact that James Franklin's guaranteed contract numbers really speak against a firing but right. let's just say for a moment that's not relevant um there's still some risks here and and I I certainly am with everyone in the whole fan base in frustration and expecting that this was the year that you could get it done everything was lining up perfectly including what seemed to be a down Ohio State year and Jim Harbaugh not being on the sideline and you still can't get it done when the the best teams have some adversity they're facing. Um, But, you know, James Franklin, uh, you know, five out of his 10 years, he's won 10 wins. You know, he's gone to a New Year's six, uh, that's assuming he wins out the rest of this uh, season, which I suppose is not a foregone conclusion. But um, he's been a good coach for Penn State. Um, And 
it's not a foregone conclusion that if you part ways with someone who consistently gets you nine and 10 wins, 11 with a bowl game, that you're going to do better. And there are a couple of cases in point I think we really need to pay attention to. First and foremost, you got to look across the divisional boundary to Nebraska. All right. Um, Nebraska had a coach named Bo Pelini. You may remember him, bro. Uh, he was 67 and 27 in his tenure at Nebraska. He was, that's a 713, you know, 71.3% winning percentage all time. Um, he won four conference titles for Nebraska. He had three 10 win seasons. He never had fewer than nine wins in a season. All right. And Nebraska fired Bo Pelini in 2014 after another nine and three campaign. Now, Nebraska, you're thinking back to the good old days with Tom Osborne, and they were winning national championships. That's why they made that move, the bold move. Well, since then, Nebraska hasn't had a single coach, coach uh, over a 500 record. Um, only one season did you have over 500 since 2014. That's now going on 10 years. That was the 2016 season, Mike Riley's uh, second season. Uh, he finished nine and four, second in the Big Ten West. Not too bad. But then they fired him the very next season when he finished three and six. And Scott Frost was after that. He had a like a 300s level, uh, you know, coaching uh, resume. And now, you know, you're on to Matt Rule and he's trying to get to 500. Maybe he'll get there. Maybe he won't. And maybe Matt Rule's finally the guy. But I'm just saying, like, he fired Bo Pelini and it's been 10 years of misery. Now, let's move to Mississippi State and Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen regularly had eight and nine win seasons. He had one 10 win season where they were ranked number one for a period of time. You remember Dak that? Dak Prescott, Dak Prescott, I recall. Then he was fired in 2017 after an eight and four regular season finish. They wanted bigger things. Since then, only one nine win season that was under Mike Leach in 2022. And uh, not under he, Joe Moorhead, by the way. They did not reach heights peace. with Jay. Yeah. Multiple seasons under 500. Um, and they just fired their third head coach since Mullen after his, not even through his first season following their sixth loss of the season. So Dan Mullen, again, eight, nine, 10 wins regularly, and you fire him and you go way under that result. There's buyer's remorse and there's fire's remorse and Mississippi State has fire's remorse and so does Nebraska. And there are, you know, we could go and say there there are other teams that you could look at and say you got problems when you fire a guy who had a pretty good program because you wanted to take the next step. You got to be really sure. Number 1 that the coach is in fact the problem. And number 2, you got to be really sure that the guy you hire to come in is going to do better than the guy you let go. Now, there's a counterpoint, of course, and we've already brought it up, which is Georgia, who had Mark Richt. He was uh, coached there from 2001 to 2015. His record was 74% win percentage. He had 10 seasons with 10 or more wins, six SEC championship game appearances, and two wins under Mark Richt. He had four top four finishes and eight top 10 finishes. Mark Richt is, I mean, Penn State would love to have Mark Richt type performance out of uh, Har, uh, excuse me, out of Harbaugh, good Lord, <laughs> out of Franklin. Um, and yet, and yet he was fired 
after 2015, a 9-3 season, that year they played Tax Slayer Bowl against Penn State, by the way. Richt was fired before the bowl. And they hired Kirby Smart. And now Kirby Smart actually has done better than Mark Richt. He's got an 800-plus win percentage. He's won two national championships. They're currently undefeated. They've overtaken Alabama as the best team in the SEC. But, you know, Georgia and and Kirby Smart, I think, are really the outliers. And so if you're Pat Kraft and you want to say James Franklin isn't doing it, even if you can afford the buyout, it's not a foregone conclusion that the next guy is going to be better. And I'm not saying you want to keep James Franklin around indefinitely in this kind of like better than average mediocrity is what we want. No, it's not. But just simply replacing the top guy with another guy that you think might get you there, more often than not, you actually develop worse. I think especially firing a coach after they've had reasonable success, I think it leads to a situation where it deflates the program, uh, does not create a sense of belief in the program or success, and it, it kind of pushes you into the win-at-all-costs kind of territory, and, and it might be you know, pushing you into dysfunction and um, I think you got to be really careful about what you wish for in that situation. Do you remember John Cooper? Do you know John Cooper? Do you know that name? Don't Ring think I know that name. He was the head coach of Ohio State from 1988 to the year 2000. He started. He started with a bang. I mean, like not a bang, but like he he actually he didn't start with a bang. He he started poorly at Ohio State, and that's kind of similar to how James Franklin started um, here at Penn State. You know, he's had uh, a four six and one season, an eight and four season, a seven four and one season, and then in '91 he went eight and four. '92 uh, he went eight three and one, and then in '93 he went ten one and one. And this began a string of really great seasons for Ohio State. And in their best seasons, they couldn't beat Michigan. Yeah. And that was ultimately you know, he finished his he he went on a run of he went ten and one and one, nine and four, eleven and two, eleven and one, ten and three, eleven and one in nineteen ninety-eight, and then in ninety-nine and two thousand he went six and six and eight and four. So he tailed off at the end there, but the reason he really, like all Ohio State fans were like, he just couldn't win the big game to get him over the hump, to win the Big Ten, to beat Michigan, to win a national title, and then that first year in 2001, what did Ohio State do, Andy? Do you remember? They beat Miami for yeah. the, the, I believe I believe it was 01, or maybe it was 02. Uh, I can't recall offhand. The point is, they fired him and hired Jim Tressel. So, you, you, you. Uh, again, I think it's a it's a very good case in point, and both Georgia and Ohio State in those situations, they made a great hire. Whatever needed to be in place underneath that was in place so that the next coach could do what the previous coach couldn't do. But, you know, it is not automatically the case that bringing in a new coach is going to get you better results. I, and I agree. I agree. You do have to the be last sure. Thing, I mean, you have yes. to be sure. As much as I'm banging my head against the wall over seeing the same results against Michigan and Ohio State year in and year out, I would be far more dismayed. Being a Nebraska, being a Miami, being being even a USC right now. Texas A&M. What does a Heisman Trophy do for you last year, this year? Nothing. You you didn't win a Pac-12 title. Um, you didn't win a national title, and and here you are. You know you're wondering about Lincoln Riley's ability to to field a credible defense of any sort. 
All right, let's move on to the next question because it might kind of take us down sure. the, the next step of, of where do we go from here with uh, Franklin sticking around. Uh, and this is from Cody. Cody from Pittsburgh. Uh, Cody says, uh, extremely disappointing result on Saturday. Uh, yes, understatement, Cody. Thank you for sharing your feelings, though. Um, <laughs> the sample size is large enough, he goes on to say, to justify this as a James Franklin problem. The wins against top-tier competition are simply not there. The further we get from 2016 versus Ohio State, the more it appears that was a fluke win. Although I'm not ready to call for a change at head coach, I'm wondering what are the ways that James Franklin can regain this fan base. Firing the offensive coordinator has allowed for a temporary relief from accountability, but in your opinion, would a voluntary James Franklin pay cut help you come to terms with his on-field performance? James Franklin's agent will never let that happen, but um, I mean, it would help. I think it would help. I mean, obviously, it's a it's a page out of the book of Jim Harbaugh. You know, he was after that 2020 season when they went two and four and lost to Penn State in the Big House. Um, we like he took a pay cut, and then he started cheating, of course, too. But he did take a pay cut. <laughs> Um, but like, okay. So, you know, this, the real problem here, you know, is, is this giant contract that, that Franklin is, you know, signed himself to. And mind you, he signed that contract before the losing skid in 2021. All right. Yeah. So he's coming off of a, a bad season in 2020 and he's, you know, he got somehow gets us in the top five. You know, le- leading into a top five matchup at o- at Iowa, and there and the and these the, the administration Which you know go on and lose miserably. Obviously, Eric Barron, I think, was the president at the time, and Sandy Barber, who, by the way, neither of them are here any longer, and yet they were capable of pushing a ten year fully guaranteed contract across the board of trustees table, and the board of trustees oh. Approved this, okayed and approved this, and yeah. here we are. Here we are wondering to ourselves if only, like honestly, if I'm Pat Kraft and that contract is more manageable, <laughs> like would James be fired? There's a pretty decent chance that James Franklin is fireable. You know, after the Ohio, after the Michigan game, rather. I mean, just. Those two point conversions alone are like fireable in my mind. Like, yes, like so. So th- this is like. It, th- I mean, that was coaching malpractice. Absolutely, absolutely. Worst. And and if and if Franklin wasn't insulated from being fired, is he making these dumb decisions? I don't know. But but the point is, he is insulated. Okay, he he is since that contract has been signed, he went zero and six against Michigan and Ohio State. Okay, and that contract was only signed two years ago this month. And we've got a new president, a new AD, and he still has eight college football seasons left on that fully guaranteed contract. All right? So, and as soon as he signed that contract, he lost at Iowa, and he lost uh, nine overtimes against Illinois, and he lost at Ohio State, and then went on to lose against Michigan and Mississippi, or see Michigan and Michigan State uh, as well. And the only ranked wins we had that year were against Wisconsin and Auburn, and they didn't finish the season ranked. So basically, that whole season that he got that ten-year contract, he lost to every ranked opponent that he faced uh, when the final season rankings came out. So, and then and by the way, then we lost also to to Arkansas kind of miserably too uh, in a in a game that we could have won and didn't. So. So, 
you know, you're you're looking at Franklin and you're like, I, I mean, I think it's fair to call him overrated at this point in terms of what he's getting paid. Um, and I, I, I'm not really sure that I can say with any sort of authority what he is even great at. And I give him the smallest sliver of hope here with an offensive coordinator hire and and what could be done with that. But right now, I don't even think you could say that he is a great recruiter because what is he doing with Drew Aller, but, you know, kind of, you know, not even ushering him into the the five-star stratosphere of, of greatness in any way. And, and I, I mean, the CEO status, he, six offensive coordinators in nine years. So, so I think he would have been fireable. All right, you know, if this contract didn't exist, he get, and he's not recruiting to the level of of his counterparts, and he's not co- producing to the level of the recruiting, at least on the same level of of Michigan. So, if anything, his coaching res- usurps the talent that is on the field on the Penn State sideline. You know, we we, we all these other these ten these ten win seasons we've been get gaining those wins are over the t- the the teams that we should be beating. So the talent is absolutely rising to those occasions and and beat and winning. You know, and and in large part by emphatic fashion. But yeah, you don't see a lot of games where you feel like uh, our coaching is what made the difference to win this game. Name one. I'm not name sure. Name one game where the coaching was the difference in the game. Yeah, name I'm not one sure I can. game plan where it's like, holy crap! Like James came out with a plan and it and executed it, and it was like beautiful, right? So yeah. and, and 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 you know we we are products of the Joe Paterno era as far as fans, we are. But one thing you know that Joe Pa did, he might not have had the best talent in the world across the across the board, you know, the offense and defense, but Joe could plan for a big game and and he could. He could win the big games. And, you know, the recruiting aspect of what James is doing gets him somewhere for sure as a, as a head coach. But he has, as Cody points out time and time again, not been living up to, to, to the, what a big game coach needs to be um, in order to, to garner the, this type of contract and this, this amount of money. So if anything, yeah, I think it would help me reframe my expectations of James if he were to take a, you know, a pay cut, but I just don't think that's on the, I don't I mean, it's realistically it's, it's on the table a, at all. Virtually worthless intellectual exercise because it's not going to happen. No um, but I think for me, rather than a pay cut, what I would say, and maybe it's possible, maybe it's possible that Pat Kraft can restructure James's contract so that it's weighted more toward incentives and less toward guaranteed money. That's you know, a great point. Incentivizing you know, and like say, look, James. Let's reduce your base salary, but increase your incentive salary. So like if you go and win the big game, you actually make more money. Um, I mean, it's how players and contracts in the NFL are, are, are worked is like, okay, we'll pay you this as a base salary, but like, Hey, if you get a thousand yards or like 15 touchdowns, like you can earn more. And so it incentivizes you to perform to your best ability. And if you already give, I mean, time and time again, when a running back in the NFL is given, you know, the, the biggest contract in the NFL and they it's flame like, out. <laughs> they to- it's like, where's the incentive to keep playing? You know, where's the carrot in front of yeah. your, you know, he, James has no carrot because he's because he's <laughs> making a boatload I mean, his, of money no matter what he does. 
his incentive is for the long-term stability of the program, which, you know, I guess he's kind of stable for us there at the eight, nine, 10 wins in a season regularly expected. But the truth is that's not what James has said he wants. That's not what the Penn State fan base is looking for. That's not what Pat Kraft is looking for. You, you haven't structured the contract in such a way as to incentivize the goal that you're ultimately looking well, for. And, I'll, and, and, and going back to Jopa, like Jopa was widely known for like, like not asking for a lot of money. He didn't even care what he was getting paid compared to like the market, so to speak. Like he did like, it was the last thing on his mind. Look, I want to, I want to say, and like this, this calls to mind, like what, what Joe cared about was what happened on the field. Um, and, with his players off the field. That's what yeah. he cared about. Yeah. That's what drove him. And yeah. I think that to a certain extent, that's true of Franklin as well. Um, but I, he did say, but not, in the in the, pres- not in the world of, of like cutthroat agents either, which he allows. I mean, to, to- I, I was disappointed with the way that contract handled. And, and there's been some, business stuff with Franklin all along in terms of like his name being floated, you know, when things were going well for him, that kind of, you know, in, in, <laughs> made the administration afraid that he was going to leave. Like, I, yeah, I, don't I mean, like his name was up for the U S for USC when yeah, Lincoln, I don't like Lincoln that positioning and I didn't appreciate that, you know, and it kind of cuts against the, you know, kind of purity of what Franklin is looking for, um, on the field. But uh, what I will say is that like, there was a moment in the press conference today where, you know, he was asked the question about like, what should fans expect? And what do you say to fans to give them hope? And, and he said, like, look, I could say a lot of things, but ultimately it doesn't matter what I say. All that matters is what we do on the field, whether we get the results. And I, to me, that was a very, probably the best way he could have answered that. And, and like, it's up to us, bro, to like figure out how to have hope with Franklin as our future head coach. But it was really refreshing to hear him say that he recognizes that the only thing that really is going to be worth judging him on is whether or not he wins those games in the future. The fact that he's clear eyed about that, whether or not his contract is structured accordingly to me says that you know, at least we got someone focused on the right things. Uh, will he learn? Will he find a way to overcome some of his deficiencies and get where we, uh, haven't been able to go since, you know, he has not been able to perform up to expectations when the expectations are, have been lofty. He has not yep. delivered well, like in 2016, there were no expectations. We were talking about firing him after four games. You know, so their expectations were very low in 2016, yeah. um, which is why High it felt so magical. With no expectations, right? Which is why it was so magical, <laughs> yeah. you know? But then 17 and 18 came around, and then he, and then that famous 2018, this is, this is 2018, post-Ohio State loss, second year in a row losing Ohio State by one point, only in 2018 it was at home, so we had to face the music at Beaver Stadium. And in that 2018 post-game press conference, he promised, he made a declaration that we are no longer going to be, you know, content with being great. We are, we, we're, we're not elite. We're, 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 we need to be, you know, we're great. We're not elite. We need, and we're going to get it done. I promise you, he said, that I will get this done, that we will get this done. And he has not delivered and it's been five seasons since then, you know? Yeah. I mean, and, 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 that's an eternity 
in head coaching years. Hundred percent. No one. It's it's hard to to be a coach at one you know power five school five years in a row. It is it is With, nearly without, impossible without you know winning the conference yeah, without right. winning you know right uh, unless you're a team that doesn't care about those things right right so yeah. um and Penn State's a team that cares about those things you know Franklin has somehow you know found him way into a situation where it's unlikely he's going to be let go anytime soon and so the best we're left to do is hope that he will do better um I think that's enough uh comment on that by the way this is a, I think a record long mailbag segment yeah, for sure <laughs> No doubt. Um, and uh, so let's let's take the turn and talk about this upcoming Rutgers game. I don't know how much time we're going to spend on it. We've already you know, left a lot of uh, the minutes we could have been talking about it behind. But like James Franklin, the press conference, uh, you know, we're just not all that interested in Rutgers this week. Truthfully, uh, the team better be because we could easily drop this game. We'll talk about why. Um, in we'll just find out if, if Franklin is is OK with being just good in these next two games because it seems like oh, man it seems like he's been content being good and not even being great so uh i think these these two games are going to be very telling about absolutely if he has absolutely. the locker room if the players still believe in him you know because because those are the decisions he made on the field you know the last saturday I, I would give any player cause for you know you know concern if their coach is not putting them in the best positions to win games so we'll see man all right, so Rutgers, um, it's our second to last game of the season. Um, we're playing this Saturday at noon. It'll be on Fox Sports 1. Penn State is currently favored by about three touchdowns. Um, ESPN's FBI gives Penn State about a 94% chance to win. Um, it's at Beaver Stadium. It is senior day. So um, those guys that have been with the program for four or five, in some cases, six years and um, are, are graduating, um, they're being honored on that day before. Um, uh, we did not get a list of who is going to be honored by James Franklin, but um, you know, I'm sure that'll go out um, by the university in a press release here uh, during the week. Um, going to be another pleasant day for, for mid-November, a high of 56 degrees, uh, partly cloudy, um, breezy with some gusty winds, so it might affect the kicking game, uh, possibly the passing game. Um, Penn State, I don't know if we talked about this um, with the firing of Mike Yersich. Um, we're going to run co-offensive coordinators, um, and uh, that's going to be Ty Howell, uh, the tight ends coach, um, who will be in the booth, and Jawan Sider is going to be on the sidelines. Franklin mentioned in the press conference they haven't quite worked out how they're doing play calling right now, <laughs> so that's slightly disconcerting, but uh, hopefully they'll they'll get that worked out. They said they're, they're going to be working on the game plan collaboratively. Um, by the way, Franklin said he and Daniel O'Brien are taking quarterback responsibilities in terms of quarterback coaching. Um, and he's going to be a little more involved there. Um, but, um, you know, Rutgers is a team that hasn't required a lot of respect, at least from uh, at least from uh, on the field performance. Lately. They haven't had any major upsets in the Big Ten ever. Let's put it that um, way. And um, we're going to take a one-year break from them as we move out of the Big Ten East. Um, they've been a reliable win for us, so that's kind of, uh, you know, not playing them next year. It means uh, we're replacing them with a more difficult team. We will go uh, to Piscataway in 2025, and then we'll be home against them in 2026. Uh, we are 26-1 and against Rutgers all-time. This has not been a competitive 
uh, series by any means. Our only loss was in 1988, a uh, 16 to 21 embarrassment at home. Um, we've won the last Just a couple 16... of years removed from a national title, and then you go lose to Rutgers. <laughs> uh, we've won the last 16 games against. Hey, Rutgers, Rutgers invented football, by the way. College football, that is. <laughs> that's like the oldest, aren't they? They're like that's where a college yeah, football game was. Rutgers football game, game ever yeah. played was yeah. was there at Rutgers. Right. Um, that that field is no longer there. It's like a parking right. lot now. But yeah, perfect. anyway, um, the closest recent game with Rutgers was Franklin's first year, twenty fourteen, bro. That was a thirteen to ten win at Rutgers. That's a not a great showing in Franklin's first year, but that was a tough year all around. <laughs> yeah. We, um, we made a bowl game that year and that was a miracle. <laughs> yeah. That, that We lost to Maryland that same year. Yeah. So um, uh, we haven't exactly blown them out during Franklin's tenure either. Last year was kind of an exception of 55 to 10 dismantling, um, but it's been, you know, 28 to 35 point spread for the most part. Um, now things have kind of been a little more on track for Rutgers lately. Uh, their head coach, Greg Schiano. Um, we've, we've mentioned this last few times we played Rutgers. He is back, uh, for a second stint. Uh, just a quick reminder on him. He was a Bucknell linebacker from 85 to 87. He was an assistant under Joe Paterno from 1990 to 1995. Um, then he was at the bears for a little while, defensive coordinator for the Miami hurricanes for a few years, um, 1990, and 2000. Then he was head coach at Rutgers for 10 years, 2001 to 2011. And then it was uh, almost the Tennessee head coach. Yeah, there were there were, there were a bunch of, a kind of strange things that happened um, where he he was trying to make the leap and then he didn't largely because of his association with Jerry Sandusky at Penn State. But then Ohio, around but for then a Ohio little bit. State hired him. Yeah, he had a great couple of years at Ohio State, um, and now he's back for a second round at Rutgers. Um, he has been improving each and every year he was there. Each of his years he's been there, he got up to three and zero start. Um, in 2021, he finished five and seven. So you know, only won two final games. Um, last year, they again started three and zero, but finished four and eight. Their only conference win was Indiana. But here we are, going to be Greg Schiano's best year. Um, at Rutgers in his second round. He's already got six wins. He's already got three conference wins, and he's currently tied for fourth place in the Big Ten East with Maryland. Um, and they actually play Maryland next week, which will give them an opportunity to finish above 500 in the conference and a seven-win season, excuse me, at 500 in the conference and a seven-win season. And let me tell you, bro, they would love nothing more than to knock off a reeling Penn State who's just fired their offensive coordinator after a demoralizing Michigan loss and actually supplant Penn State for the third-best team in the Big Ten. That's what could happen if Rutgers wins on Saturday. And doing it with our former outcast offensive coordinator, Kirk Shiraka, who will be making his first trip back to Happy Valley since being fired. Yeah, how about that? So, um, all sorts of insights. Now, Kirk Shiraka was on Minnesota's sideline last year, and that didn't provide any kind of. I, I meant <laughs> since he got the job at Rutgers, it'll be his first trip back to. My, my bad. You, you are right. Yeah, but he I, was. Uh, he was there for this. We demoralized them last year uh, in the whiteout, which we were at. Thank you, Rudy. Um, yeah, and, you know, but but all that to say, like, um, 
that that Kirk Sharaka did not provide an added uh, bonus to Minnesota last year. No. It'll be interesting to see whether you know. Even though he was provides. reunited with Tanner Morgan last year too, I, that was kind of he, he wasn't Tanner wasn't uh, Tanner didn't finish the game. I think he got knocked out in the game, and they finished with uh, Kaliak Manis. Goes uh, to show you sometimes like your second round, second go around doesn't always work out. You know, for those of you who are hoping for Bill O'Brien or Joe Moorhead, I'm not sure that's the silver bullet we're looking right, for. But right. anywho, um, you know, Rutgers, um, they, they play a stout defense. Uh, Greg Schiano is a defensive guy. And that's what he's all about. Um, and uh, they they played Ohio State tough. They've played Michigan tough. They've kept their scoring down. And by the way, on the offensive side of the ball um, with Kirk Shiraka, um, they put up more points uh, against Ohio State than we did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know um, they've got fact, and they've got a they've got a lead running back. Um, what's his name? Uh, it's a Monahan or Ma- Morton uh, Man- Manungai. Oh man, yeah, it's Kyle Manungai. Yeah, Manungai is a bruiser. Uh, they kind of run a similar offense to to like um, oh like West Virginia. Sort of, they do have the Gavin yeah. Wimsett is their quarterback. He can scramble quite a bit. He's their second leading rusher, but their their bruiser Manungai, I think he's got close to a thousand yards on the season. Yeah, um, he, he'll he'll get to a thousand if he doesn't get injured. He's only about sixty yards away from it. Yeah, so um, he's got seven yards rushing. Uh, excuse me, seven touchdowns rushing. Yeah, uh, Gavin Wimsat, their quarterback, has seven touchdowns rushing. Um, they're not a pass-heavy offense. Um, Gavin Wimsat has um, under fourteen hundred yards passing, under fifty percent passing completion on the season. Yeah, he's eight, eight to six touchdowns, <laughs> yeah. inter- six interceptions. Yeah, and he, he takes some sacks too. But he has shown a propensity. To to gut out some some tough plays, some tough yards, and gut out some victories too. This is a this is not a team that Penn State should be looking past by any stretch. No, um, and Penn State on the ground this past week, um, we gave up 238 yards rushing. They Michigan was really the first team to go after us on the ground with yeah. a heavy heavy package, and um, they really took us to task. Um, Rutgers is a run first team. They have more rushing yards than passing yards on the season by about 300. They've got a total of 1,696 rushing yards to 1,409 passing yards. So, you know, uh, now they're not going to have the talent on the line um, that that Michigan did, but you you got to believe that they're going to go ahead and test our rush defense again and uh, try to shorten the game, uh, try to push us off the ball, and, um, you know, then try to lock us down on, I, on I think- defense. We got to be careful of their defense. To be honest with you, like, yeah. like our our offense is kind of. I mean, I I don't want to say in shambles, but I I don't know what shambles looks like if it's not this. You know, firing your offensive coordinator, who's also your quarterback's coach, your your um, five star quarterback coming off of one of his worst games. Um, you know, so maybe his uh, his you know confidence is shot a little bit. But you know, they've been holding um, a lot of teams to un, you know under twenty points a game. Their defense is is not to be you know looked past. I, I really I really am con- slightly concerned about maybe the mentality of this team. You know, you got to think to yourself like does it does Penn State have the leaders in place at this point in the season on offense to to come out of this funk and 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 play hard-nosed against a hard-nosed defense, you know, a, a head coach who coaches hard-nosed and Greg Schiano, he's a defensive mind. He's 
He's been around. He's seen it all. He's going to have these guys ready to play. It's just a matter of can we take a punch and, and dish it back. Um, I mean, I think you're right on defense and, and being in a shambles. I think you look back to that Indiana game, which was a home game, by the way, after a demoralizing right. loss against a top three opponent. And um, look what we did on offense, bro. We had only 132 yards rushing. Uh, for three yards per carry on average. This is against Indiana. And then outside of that long pass play, we had 150 yards in passing. All right. With three touchdowns passing and one interception. That long touchdown, of course, was was critical there. That, that was, bro, that was a, a, a very, very slight uh, win. Uh, just a nine-point win helped by that um, final safety, of course. But it, effectively, it was a one-score game. We were tied with them before we hit that long Kendra Lambert-Smith uh, touchdown pass and finally woke up in the f- closing minutes of the game. Um, Indiana, bro, they are they have the worst record in the Big Ten. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, like <laughs> the, the, you don't. No one's writing about how good Indiana's defense is. <laughs> you know, this is not an Iowa team where they have a terrible offense, but they have a great defense. The, the, this is a Indiana was a team that that just didn't have a lot going for it at all anywhere on the team, and we let them nearly beat us with a very very anemic offensive performance. And um, here we are again. I mean, we had the great Maryland showing, but. You know, we're coming back now after a demoralizing loss, and this time without our offensive coordinator. And I think it's going to be a big question mark as to, you know, how is Drew Aller going to show up on that day? How is the offensive line going to show up on the day? How about the running backs? How about the wide receivers? And most of all, how's our game planning and play calling going to be? Well, let's put it this way Manny Diaz better figure out how to get his front seven to stop the run because the way Michigan beat us was with the run. They We were the top rushing defense in the country coming into the game for the second year in a row, and they chewed, it was our worst run defense performance second year in a row of the season. So, you know, when, you know, what, what during the Penn State-Ohio State game, we ran for 49 total team yards. 49 total team yards against Ohio State. Singleton had 48 yards. Catron Allen had 26 yards. And then Drew Aller had minus 23. Now, this running back for Rutgers against Ohio State, he ran for 159 yards. This Rutgers team could be taking a play out of the Michigan play, uh, uh, the plan out of the Michigan playbook, and decide to just run all over us with this Manung guy. If we're not careful, if Manny Diaz doesn't decide, he wants to commit to stopping the run. Because if he if they chew up clock against us, that's going to be exactly how you beat us. Is you know a, a wounded team with with seemingly no nothing to play for, you know, except for a New Year's Six, which doesn't feel like much to most people anymore at this point in this day and age, when all you care about is a CFP or the Big Ten title. It's it's you know this Rutgers team is coming off of back to back losses, and they're they they're playing for their lives right now. They're they're playing for their best season. They're playing for a, a, the ability to come into Beaver Stadium and deal James Franklin a like punishing death blow is what it'll feel like if Rutgers comes into Beaver yeah. Stadium and beats Penn State after Michigan does what they just did to us, dude. You they. 
people will be calling for Pat Kraft to pull the trigger on paying him his whatever $64 million or whatever it is if he loses to Rutgers after this game. So Rutgers might be the kind of team that is like a shark's smelling chum in the water. Or is Penn State going to be the the rabid dog who's, you know, going to fight for, you know, pride? For yeah, the I mean, pride, the lion pride. And it is senior day, and you certainly hope that those guys right. say, like, we're going to draw a line in the sand, and we're going to put on a great final home game for us. Uh, you know, our career here against Rutgers, we're not going to go down with our heads we, hung low. We're we going to go ahead. Sorry. I mean, I basically said it, you know, like, and by the way, Rutgers is going to be looking for a trophy. Like they're going to be looking Absolutely. for something to hang their hat on as like, we have arrived in the this big, is how you, this is how you recruit. If you're Rutgers is you go into Penn state and you beat hundred percent. You know, last year we, we praised, um, Franklin's ability to come back from those two losses against Michigan and Ohio State, two top five teams, you know, with that Minnesota victory whiteout 45 to 17. We were like, oh man, well, Franklin stemmed the tide. He stopped yeah. the bleeding. All yeah, right. The and monkey then, on his back, which right, was to, to double to lose the, yeah. Well, here's the, the other opportunity. The here's the other yeah. opportunity this year to prove that, you know, yeah. he can continue he, to. I mean, he lead almost blew it team. against Indiana, you know, right. by letting his team be that, right. you know, uh, poorly performing against such an inferior opponent. And if we have that same kind of performance against Rutgers, we will. We'll lose this game. We will. They're a much better team. They're a yeah, tougher team. I agree. They they're a better coached team than Indiana. They've got a more belief in themselves than Indiana. They have an offensive identity and a defensive identity. Their coach isn't about to get fired, which Indiana's probably is. <laughs> so so yeah, and they're playing for a program that's on the rise. You know, really they've they've improved um, you know, under Shiano as they've gone along. And and, you know, Franklin's got a got a real, you know, potentially dogfight on his hands uh against Rutgers. And um it'll be interesting to see how these, you know, two guys who've been uh, positional coordinators, uh, positional coaches, Jaywan Sider and Ty Howell, how they respond to this opportunity. It'd be interesting to see how the team responds to this opportunity. I have no idea what to expect, bro. I really don't. Well, I know one thing about Rutgers is they have not played well on the road. I think they have. I think they have one win on the road this season. Um, I, I forget who it's to offhand. They lost to Wisconsin on the road. They beat. Oh, they beat Indiana thirty-one to fourteen on the road. That's their lone road victory this year. So if you know that, that's the one thing I think we have going for us is that we have the home field advantage. And and I think that will play a, a a key role. But I hope so. Having said that, Andy, <laughs> will the home field feel like an advantage if Penn State's not playing up to the standard? I mean, you can imagine because, the, because those boos last mm, week will mm-hmm. only be amplified th- the moment things start going sideways. Yeah, yeah. And with having those- two new offensive, you know, you know, play callers, which I again we don't know who's going to be calling the actual plays, play in and play out. Um, you know, we've actually had, um, 
you know, I think back in the Paterno era, we had Galen Hall and um, Joe's son, Jay, calling run plays and pass plays. Very strange. I don't know how they made it work. Seems very stupid, yeah. but maybe that's something that they do. I don't know. Um, but it'll be very interesting to see how this offense works with 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 their their you know offensive play caller gone. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to make. It's unprecedented waters for Penn State in, in a regular season to have this <laughs> circumstance come up come about, and especially to have two you know co OCs you know figuring out how to manage a not one offense. Lots of cause com- for lots of cause for concern. Sure, certainly. Yeah. Um, and I think you're right. Like, there's not going to be a lot of tolerance in the stadium should we start to see some of those same kinds of gaffes and mistakes that we have over the last few games. You know, outside of that Maryland game, which is a great game, um, we've had three games in a row that um, the offense has looked really, really inept. And I, I think you're going to and this not is the have a lot of ranked defense us. in the country in terms of points against allowed. All right. They're good defense. They're allowing only 18.3 points per game. And that's including against games against Michigan and Ohio State. Okay. So, you know, I I I I do feel like this is gonna be about our defense stopping their run. Because I don't think they have much to write home about and and by way of the passing attack, because their their passing attack is only 140 yards per game, which is good for 128th in the country. Um and they're uh, they're only scoring 24 points a game, which is uh, good for 86th in the country. So they're not an offensive powerhouse, but if they play that ball control run game against a deflated defense that just got gashed by Corum for 150 yards nearly and two touchdowns, you know, all bets could be off. Really, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the question, bro, is what's it going to take to pull ourselves off the turf? Uh, Leaders. Penn State needs to have leaders step up all across the board. And, you know, and it, because like the individual players are going to need to take ownership of the energy of this team. In these yeah, next and I, two games. you could point to Jaywan Sider and Ty Howell as well as as leaders who have an opportunity to step up and make sure. their mark on the offense. I mean, you mentioned it previously. Like, there's a little bit of a runway here where they're the potentially auditioning for this job. Like, I, I don't know how Absolutely. likely it is. You know, I mean, um, Jaywan Sider is a is, is a name to 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 think about. Um, you know, maybe not so much Ty Howell, um, but Jaywan Sider is regarded as one of the best position coaches in the country and one of the best recruiters in the country. And I mean, look, if he can call Franklin a masterful game, yeah, if he not. could call a masterful game, um, now, again, doing it against Rutgers and Michigan State doesn't tell you a whole lot. Maybe if he goes and does it in a New Year's Six Bowl against a top 10, top 15 opponent, and you say, wow, here's a guy who can really do it all, mm-hmm. you know, maybe he's got an outside chance of getting hired. But um, anyway, w- regardless of what happens in the future, here's an opportunity for him uh, and Ty Howell to show some some new kinds of leadership that they haven't yet had to show. Um, I agree with you. It's going to take some leadership. Absolutely. Um, well, who, who, who the, the, I, I really like on defense, I can think of guys like Chop Robinson, Adisa Isaac, Curtis Jacobs. Um, you know, they, they, those guys, I, I, we, I feel good about the defense by and large co- compared to the offense, but who is going to step up and be a vocal leader for this offense? Cause I, I'm not sure Drew, you know what? That, I, I, has I that agree with you quite yet. I mean, but this is an opportunity for Drew. Guess what? Absolutely. His, his offensive coordinator who recruited him is gone. 
Yeah. Like he can't lean on Mike Yurcich anymore to lead the offensive no. room. It's him. Like maybe this is an opportunity for him to say like, I'm going to p- go and play some football now. Yeah. You know, like put all this behind me. I'm going to go play some football. I'm going to play my football. M- you know, maybe it's an opportunity for him. Um, I agree with you. Like it's hard to point to le- like, you know, last year we had guys like Parker Washington, you know, Brenton strange, Sean Clifford, of course, obviously Sean, and, Sean definitely and, everybody could look at him and believe that he's at least going to, you know, do something to, to, to do like, you know, move the ball down the field like he he on field leadership on the offense has been lacking and and i think it's going to take that and if i think we don't see it he'll need to grow up in these next two games for sure if we don't see it 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 bodes poorly and and i agree with you it'll 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 get ugly we talk about you mentioned ty howell and and um Jay Wan Sider. One thing that that Yursich uh, did not do, uh, and I don't know if we mentioned it. I know we talked about it off the air, but but Yursich did not build off of what Drew did in the Maryland game. You know, Drew felt Drew felt like he could feel his his you know confidence b- gaining in that Maryland game the week before Michigan, and then Yursich went ahead and put together a game plan that you know like quieted all of that confidence of his. So, you know, Jaylon Sider and Ty Howard are going to need to devise a game plan that's going to get um Drew in rhythm and gain his confidence back. That's just it's going to have to happen. Well, um I'll probably analyze it about as much as we can um, from these angles. I think it's time to bring Joel Bettner on so we can look at it by the numbers. Not alert by the numbers. Not alert by the numbers. Not alert by the numbers. Joel, I don't know if I care very much about the numbers right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because the tough. only number that matters to me at this point is the one at the end of the game on the scoreboard of that Michigan game. And uh, boy, oh boy. And that, that ship it's is not sailed, the huh? number I wanted to see. No. Yeah. I don't think it's the number anybody anybody in the country outside of Michigan wanted to see. Correct. But here we are. And uh, so we are going to. Here gonna, we are indeed. We're going to move on. Um, and, uh, we'll just quick recap of numbers from last week. I asked you fellas, what will the official attendance in Beaver stadium be? Um, it was 110,856. Andy, you guessed 110,889. Tom went with 110,890. That means Andy, Andy with that win. (laughs) Great. Um, (laughs) Then I asked, will Michigan have more rushing or more passing yards? They had had a string of four games uh, with significantly more passing yards. But in this game, they rushed for 227, passed for a measly 60. But I guess rushing... Unbelievable. You'll rush for 227 when you run the ball 38 times in a row. Um, And to be honest with you, like they had a 4.6 yard per carry average, which was skewed by one or two really long runs. We did a pretty good job stopping that rush, to be honest. Yeah, but anyway. I, I, other than a few long runs, and you know, I think they continue to do that, as I said previously, I think it was the last episode, because they had no concerns that our offense was going to score. Exactly. Anyway, you guys both guessed that they'd have more passing yards, and you were both... Way off! 
<laughs> yeah. way off. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, then, I don't think anybody would have predicted 60 passing yards, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, will Penn State have more than 100 rushing yards, I asked. We had 164. Um, Andy, you said yes. Tom, you said no. Andy with another point on the board. Cha-ching! Uh, we had a good day running the ball, and uh, you know, especially with Katron Allen. Yeah, it was. Uh, we had a respectable rushing respectable. attack. It's weird how we attacked uh, you know, Michigan on the ground with the success we were showing, uh, especially with Katron. Yeah. Um, well. Then I asked you for the over or under prediction on Aller having two and a half touchdowns. Um, he had one pass and one rush. Andy, you went over. Tom, you went under. Tom takes the point. And I needed that one more. <laughs> and question five. Tom's opportunity to tie up the week. I asked. <laughs> what, I, I, I overestimated. What poorly. will we be ranked? What will we be ranked in the CFP after this week? It hasn't come out, but I can tell you that we will we not know. be ranked four, Tom. Uh, um, Andy, you, my you $1 bobbed with five. And, my strategy uh, was off. <laughs> Andy with the win. Andy wins the week, uh, the week and goes up six to three, doubling up Tom on the season. Now, hold on. I still have a chance to at least pull even with Andy if I win out, including the bowl game. Yeah, yeah, you could, you could pull even. It's so there's still tough. Hope. Otherwise, I quit. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's no pride hey, points. For is, Tom. is Penn State gonna quit because they can't get to the Big Ten championship That's game? That's how that works. <laughs> I don't, I don't predict it, but I, it's not impossible. All right. So now this this week's number is boys. The the, the air has been taken out of the balloon. Um, that, yeah, that you loss. could say that. We went from we. It was the second largest crowd in Beaver Stadium history at. 110,856. Um, our stadium capa- official capacity is 106,572. Uh, Andy, will the attendance be over or under 106,572? That's a tremendous question. I believe the official attendance is not by the number of people who go through the turnstiles, but by the number of tickets sold. I'm going to say over, but I don't think there will be that many people in the stadium. Okay, and he's going over. Tom. I'll just say under. Screw it. (laughs) I got to get points. I got to go against this jerk. (laughs) All right. Um Obviously, this is gonna, it's going to be a strange game. What are we going to see on offense? I, we, this is a team we should dominate, uh, but we don't have an offensive coordinator, really. We have interim offensive co-coordinators, just like uh, I, I'm seeing a, a Michael Scott and Jim Halpert situation here from the office. <laughs> Co-management. Co- assistant co-managers. <laughs> um, so will we... Uh, but Rutgers did just come off. They just uh, got shut out by Iowa, a team that we 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 shut out. Um, will will our defense against Iowa or against Rutgers be as good as Iowa's was? Will we shut out Rutgers like Iowa did? And just to give you a, some extra um, thought for this, ESPN's FPI gives us. Uh, gives Rutgers only a 5.9% chance of winning this game. So we should dominate, but will we shut them out? Tom. Okay. So while 
uh, Rutgers is scoring their points per game offensively scoring. They're good for fifth in the conference at 24.1 points per game. It's still only good for 86th in the country. So it's not that great of an offense scoring wise. And, uh, you know, with it being senior day, when we got some serious seniors, uh, you know, we're going to see uh, Kalen King playing his last game likely. We're going to see Johnny Dixon playing his last game likely. We're going to see Adisa Isaac playing his last game likely. We're going to see um, Chop Robinson playing his last game likely. And if I didn't already mention Curtis Jacobs also. So that's five seniors on the defense that are going to be playing for pride, I think, for sure. And, um, I'm just, you know, I'm going to put points uh, uh, for them holding Rutgers to zero. I, I believe in our seniors playing for pride, um, and that's going to matter to them. I'm going to say a shutout will, will be the way that they want to send, um, you know, their – they're how we remember them by. Well, this is this is it. The three shutouts in a season. I can't remember when the last time Penn State had you know two or or more even. So yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm calling it shutout. All right, I love it. I hope you're right, Andy. Yeah, I'm just gonna say no. What an idiot! <laughs> what an idiot! Look what we let Indiana do. Yeah. All right. Um. So now <laughs> getting to those questions that that uh, really touch on on twenty four. Yeah, (laughs) the offensive question marks. Um, By the way, Joel, in this scenario of coordinators, who is the assistant to the regional manager? Well, one one's big picture, (laughs) and one's uh, day to day. (laughs) One's play to play. One's big picture. (laughs) Um, So the over under: Will we score fourteen? Is at fourteen and a half points? Will we be over that for the first half, or under that for the first half, just for Penn State's offense? Our scoring for the first half, gotcha. But only offensive yeah. scoring. Gotcha. Um, I'm going to say under. And he's going under. I'm going over. I'm going to bat a 1,000 this time. I could feel it. <laughs> I should get an extra point if I get all of them correct. <laughs> wow. Because <laughs> that, mean, yeah, that means I can win in the end. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like you're going for two if you get them all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I oh, guess. Oh man. <laughs> so you have to call some really weird formations. Anyway, oh, we're going to do um, swinging, swinging gate. gate to get that extra point. Dude, I ran the swinging gate with Coach Goff back mm. in the 7th grade. Coach Goff, if you're listening, it was uh-uh. the worst play call ever, even for middle school football. It <laughs> it fooled nobody. Well, it certainly didn't fool anybody on that day either. So, all right, question four. Will Penn State have more rushing yards or passing yards? Oh, my gosh. This question. Does this, does this not, not have in your situation? Are we getting, are we getting, uh, getting him off, getting Aller off the schneid, or, what, or does it make it worse? I'm going to say that we have more rushing yards than passing yards. And Jaywan Sider is now the offensive coordinator co. Got to get Singleton loose, man. I'm going passing. Passing. Ooh, this is going to be an interesting by the numbers week. All right. So then, last question. How? I don't know if you guys noticed this, but we ran yeah. one snap with I, Drew Aller under center, and it was actually it was not a trick even play. Yeah. It, 
and it, w- it was us trying to get them to jump, to, uh, jump off sides. That was the Which only time he went under tale. It's a oh telltale. It was it made so, me so aggravated. I was like, oh my gosh, he's going under. It's like, oh, it's because he's faking the hike. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So. so, how many times will Drew Aller take a snap under center that isn't a kneel down? So, if it's just a kneel down at the end of the game, I'm not counting that. Um, uh, Andy, boy. you're up. Zero question. Zero. Zero. No, no, no. no. I'm going to change that. That, that. that basically only gives me the opportunity to be exactly right. Oh, um, yeah. I'm going to say five. Five. Ooh. Four. Four. <laughs> Four. Easy. <laughs> All right. Because I'll be closer. Locked All right. in. And now your score predictions for the week, Tom. All right. I'm going to say we win 31 to nothing. All right. Historically, (laughs) this has been a frustratingly close game, like within, you know, two or three touchdowns, uh, not a blowout. Um, I'm going to say 27 to six. I mean, I'll take six. I'll take take any win. It's a gross looking score. Just like (laughs) seeing it's just, it's, you know, doesn't feel like a good football score. That's, I think that's how it's going to feel. So so you're predicting that 27 that we miss another uh, two point conversion. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly it. That's going to be. Yeah, no, I think like three touchdowns and a pair of field goals. It's probably going to be like 10 to three in the first half. And um, we'll, we'll score. Uh, a little bit more in the second half. As long as that six for them isn't three safeties. <laughs> Singleton's going to bust a long run. Singleton's oh, going to bust a long run in the game. Dear it's going to finally I happen. Hope so. I hope so. Uh, Joel, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Yeah, fellas. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Well, guys, that'll do it for us. Um, a sloppy lack of discipline kind of podcast two episodes in a row uh to just match the penn state nittany lions on the field 100 <laughs> percent. we're gonna just have to cut it off for the day um thanks for joining us assuming anyone's still listening uh at this point in the episode uh, please remember to subscribe and follow the podcast share it with your penn state friends write a review give us a rating uh send an email for the mailbag blue and white brothers at gmail.com and bro by this time next week we will be down to our final regular season game uh can't believe we're almost through and it's just depressing that we aren't feeling better about it but uh we're almost there uh so that's what's coming up until then bro it always starts with i love you and it ends with i love you we are penn state Thanks for listening to the Blue and White Brothers. Join us next time for another great episode about Penn State football. Want to make sure you don't miss an episode? Be sure to hit subscribe before you go. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't hesitate to give us a five-star review with overwhelming words of adulation and praise. 